welcome to Nicosia and Kat. In this Bayram episode, we try to address some of the feedback we have received from our listeners. And we explained why we criticized the international community, particularly the United Nations and the EU in our previous episodes. We are keen to hear more of your feedback, good or bad. Please send us your feedback and subscribe on our uh, channels on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter from our Island Talks platform. You know, the Bayram tradition in the Turkish Cypriot community always involved kissing hands. You are supposed to go and kiss the hand of your elder person. And because of the coronavirus pandemic, this is not the case anymore. And I think many people are happy about it. The ones who are not happy with that old tradition. If you remember in one of our previous um, podcast episodes I also made a joke about the fact that since I'm older than you you're supposed to kiss my hand and you kindly refused but um, so <laughs> it is uh, the time when everybody celebrates take two three days off and and then go and visit family members very good I hope you are enjoying it and uh, so we thought of of doing a bit of a um, lighter let's say show today and we thought of tackling some of the comments that we have received throughout our various podcast episodes because we really value the uh, opinion of our audience we really value receiving comments uh, and even criticism so and we always try to find some time to comment on them and we thought that this is a good time And uh, let's start, Kemal, with a comment that I received a while ago by one of our listeners who was asking me, why do we often say that in the case of a federal Cyprus, we expect that corruption uh, will be less than what it currently is in both parts of the island? So what would you have to say regarding this? Well, basically, when you are making um, projections for the future, when you try to make it better, when you want to fix the current problems, you don't approach it as if it's going to be worse in the future. You just want to, to, to make it better. But definitely to give a couple of answers to that question, I think the first one is something to do with the fact that the Constitution has not been properly implemented since uh, early 60s, meaning that the institutions and the powers within the constitution uh, are not necessarily doing their job properly, especially if you consider the fact that originally it was designed that the Turkish Cypriots were also being part of that design. It was a federal setting, and this is not the case. So, uh, first of all, the constitution is not functioning properly. And maybe, uh, I don't want to take all the answers, probably want to also address some of them, but I also want to address the fact that because of the division, because of the nationalistic rhetoric, because of the narrative of division and what needs to be done, most of the time we omit the, the real problems and then we are uh, carried away with the with the nationalistic rhetoric, with the issues which are not necessarily really important to us but we are carried away with all kind of of fake uh, agendas and this is the other reason why uh, we cannot really tackle corruption and then we are carried away and then the media and the civil society and all other powers which are supposedly there to balance and fade out corruption 
are busy with other uh, agendas. I think this is the other um, aspect that we need to address this. Yes, I agree. And I think that uh, Cyprus is a very good example of the fact that uh, of the old saying that nationalism is the last refuge of uh, corrupt uh, politicians. And uh, we've seen this happening many times. And uh, it is important to remember that uh, the civic discourse in both communities is consumed with discussion on the Cyprus problem to the extent that we do not uh, tackle all our other issues. And corruption is yet another part uh, of this and we expect that in a federal Cyprus at least a major part of the political discourse that drowns all other uh, discussions which is nationalism and the problem in itself will be eliminated from from the political uh, discourse. At the same time De facto, and as things stand, the Republic of Cyprus has no checks and balances because of uh, the state of emergency it is in since 1964. At the same time, the Turkish Cypriot community uh, is also, uh, because it is an unrecognized entity, things are a bit, uh, they are a bit shady because there is this increased reliance on Turkey. So even there, you you have a setting in which corruption can flourish. So de facto, uh, this is the current situation. I always give the example of of the human body. In medicine, if you have a little infection on your toe, there is a chance that it will affect other parts of your body in the long run if you're not going to fix it. I mean, even a small uh, problem in your body has um, other um, repercussions, other reflections on your body. And the Cyprus problem is like this. And, And it's not even small. I mean, the constitution is is not fully implemented. The country is divided, and there there is a, a constant threat of instability. Yet again, we imagine that we are living in in our own safe bubble that everything is going to be okay. And this is why corruption is just one of the symptoms of the the division. And of course, I mean there is no guarantee that the corruption will disappear if the country will be united, but it will create a better environment for for the system and for the people to tackle it. This is also true for peace. There is no guarantee that peace will come after unification if people are not going to work for it. But unification will create a fertile ground, a better ground for peace to, to come. It is, at the end of the day, depend on the people. Exactly. And it will, as you said, it will allow us to work on ameliorating our structures and our institutions. And just a final note on this, I was recently reading a report by a very uh, active environmentalist in Cyprus who was presenting how many derogations from uh, the European law and from uh, uh, the environmental regulations on the island have taken place using the um, Cyprus problem as as, as an excuse, basically. I remember uh, one current uh, Republic of Cyprus minister who once said of the record, you know, we have such a great percentage of, uh, of area uh, in Cyprus that is uh, deemed a Natura area. And then we have a part, uh, a very big percentage on which we don't have effective control. Where are we going to build? So, I mean, this is just an example to understand how uh, the Cyprus problem is being incorporated in our uh, political discourse as an excuse for many things. 
proceeding now, uh, we had another comment. This uh, We're now going to go to the comments for our last uh, podcast episode uh, in which we touched about the uh, our outlook on the 5 plus 1 um, uh, Geneva Informal Summit. And we received a comment by a very uh, a keen follower, let's say, uh, who was asking us to speak a bit more on how on our criticism regarding the United Nations and uh, who was asking us to to give what concrete moves we believe that the United Nations could have taken in order to encourage uh, inclusivity. So let's try to tackle this as well. I think the fact that we are criticizing the UN doesn't mean that we take the responsibility off the shoulders of the sides. Let's face it, the primary responsibility uh, actually is on the shoulders of, of the sides and on us as well, as Cypriots. We should have owned the process. We should have pushed our leaders. We should have created the, the um, institutions so that corrupt leaders and nationalistic leaders will not get away with cheap arguments uh, when it comes to the future of our country. But when it comes to the UN, I think our criticism to the United Nations, it's not a part of a blame game. It is to the fact that we were expecting a, a better involvement, in even in the long run, by the UN to the process, especially when we are fully aware of the fact that Cypriots obviously cannot solve their own problems. And uh, this inability affects regional and, and global in, uh, politics. It creates instability. It is in the domain of an interest of the United Nations to tackle this. And um, they, should have, they should have been more insisting. They should have been more adamant. They should have been more careful, especially when they're calling for a conference, which they know are not going to create a, a positive uh, outcome. And this is where we started our criticism. And of course, it's it's a, it's a long process. The, the, the Cypriots have been trying to agree on a solution without full involvement of the of the civil society, and and the United Nations could have used its leverage, uh, maybe not today, maybe not yesterday, but in the last ten years at least, in the last ten to twenty years, to make sure that the civil society, women, the youth the pro-solution groups are more involved, the education um, experts, the academicians in this. It is up to us to make it happen. But we, we could have expected the UN to use its expertise more efficiently in a, a long-term pro uh, prospect. Exactly. And it is important to underline that we are not trying to whitewash anyone, and especially not the leaders and especially not us. But when we look at this, it is important to remember that we're talking about an organization that has been on the island since 1964. It is one of the key players in the Cyprus problem. It is not uh, a player that has only recently attempted to mediate or it is not a player that is only now getting involved in the issue. So we are talking about a, an involvement that goes on, uh, back many years. And obviously, we are nitpicking here. But why are we nitpicking? We are nitpicking because we are part of a process that has a specific aim, which is the solution to the Cyprus problem, and we want this aim to be achieved. We are not interested in seeing a process uh, that is uh, simply 
ongoing for the sake of being ongoing. We want to see concrete results. And if you have uh, a political process and negotiations that take place and they keep failing, you need to change your course of action. We are asking for the United Nations to be more proactive. We are asking from the United Nations to be thinking outside the box, as you said, to be using their expertise, their leverage in order to change or modify the way the negotiations are taking place, even without a renewed mandate from the Security Council, because it is important for us to stress this. We are not asking for a new mandate when it comes to the um, negotiations, but we are asking for more outside-of-the-box thinking, and we are asking for more initiatives on behalf of the United Nations. Some, some ideas that are just now coming to my head, for instance, when things were going well in the Cyprus problem negotiations, they could have brought uh, along the civil society. They could have incorporated other players in the negotiations that would take off to some extent the burden from the leaders or that would allow the leaders to be more in touch with the people on the ground. Even now, the United Nations could have brought the leaders in touch with the key players in the civil society, especially when we are talking about things that have been reflected in the UN Secretary General's reports for so long. It is not uh, an idea that is now falling uh, from the sky. <laughs> it is something that is registered in the reports. Yes, we understand that United Nations is careful about its role as a, as a party which is not necessarily taking side. We understand that it needs to be careful when it's playing this, this uh, good officer's role. Fair enough. Yet again, we know that at times sides want to show off and prove that they are genuine in their interest in the solution and then you could really easily capitalize on that. We still have done crossings. It's been more than a year. We still don't have a healthy virus cooperation. We still have the youngsters, the NGOs on the ground trying to do something by themselves, trying to come up with, you know, meeting at, at the crossing points, at, at the Paphos gate and all that. So we expect uh, the UN to take more initiatives, to, take, to, to become more proactive. On that note, we go to the other feedback and we have uh, one of our listeners gave us a, a detailed feedback on the role of the EU, the European Union. And um, the question was the fact that each and every member of the U European Union might not be as interested as the other members. And um, this is why uh, probably the EU has not been playing a very active role or has not been as successful as it as, as everybody expected with their contribution, with their positive contribution into the process. But it is true that, for example, um, not each and every member will be directly affected, immediately affected with the outcome of the talks in, in Cyprus. But our criticism is mainly about the fact that if EU wants to be a global player, it needs to act like one, especially when it is affecting its uh, own members and it's directly affecting uh, the EU because of uh, of its, its members. And yes, I think we also acknowledge and understand that EU is also a club, a solidarity club, and then you expect certain level of solidarity towards your members. But then again, um, if you want to be a broker, 
and if you think that your your members is actually if your your member is actually using it in a way that's not going to be positive and compatible for the for your long term aims then you need to be doing something about it and you need to decide are you are you a club or are you going to be a global player are you going to see if the 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 stability in the area will be guaranteed by by solving the cyprus problem it affects eu because it is automatically becoming party to it but it is also affects its role as a as a as a regional and a global player yes and i think that the criticism uh, concerning uh, the foreign policy or the lack thereof of the United, uh, european union is a is a criticism that goes back a long time and this is one aspect of our criticism but at the same time i think it is important to remind everyone that the cyprus problem for the time being is a manageable problem so to speak yes it is a headache for the european union yes we are walking on a tightrope but it remains manageable however the east mediterranean tension was only a sign of what can happen if the situation uh, worsens and we believe that one has to look at the situation in a comprehensive and in a long-term perspective rather than in a short-sighted way. And we are talking about uh, the European Union, the European Union powers, uh, who have billions of euros of interest and relations uh, with Turkey and who are currently sort of, as you said, or or rather, as our uh, listener said, they are currently convenient uh, with the situation and with the conflict that is frozen as we speak. So the question is, what will happen if this so-called frozen conflict erupts at some point? Who can exclude this possibility when one looks at the way things currently are and when one looks at the instability? Um, I was reading today the statements by the Turkish Cypriot negotiator, Olgun, Olgun, Uh, who said that he believes that it is important that regional powers are also now confronted with this instability of the Cyprus problem. And they believe that uh, it is important for the Greek Cypriot side to be faced with this instability in order for it to move towards some direction regarding the Cyprus problem. So things are fragile. Things are constantly evolving. What will happen if a conflict erupts? If at any point Erdogan or any uh, coming leader of Turkey decides that the annexation of the North will be to their interest? My analysis at the time says that it is not to Turkey's interest. But what will happen if at some point this changes and Turkey chooses to go down this road. What will this mean for the European Union? What will this mean for all these interests that are intertwined between the EU and Turkey? What will this mean for the unity of the European Union itself when the EU will be called to react? All these are things that the European Union powers need to have in mind. And these go beyond a short-term approach. These go beyond short-term interests. And they go beyond the understanding that, as things stand, the only power that has some sort of interest in Cyprus is the uh, United Kingdom. No, the EU should see and should understand that it has interests in the stability of Cyprus, it has interest in the solution of the Cyprus problem, and it has a lot to gain in the long term if it chooses to engage proactively, constructively, and thus um, as a powerful player in this issue. There is no such thing as a frozen conflict. There is a conflict which is very hot, 
and there is a conflict which is left to the mercy of the time, but it is still a conflict and it affects everybody part to it. Look what's going on in Palestine now. We can discuss forever who to blame first or last or, you know, their share. But at the end of the day, innocent people are dying. It is just one example and it is just a few kilometers away from our geography. The the feeling that our problem is has been solved and the fact that we are not going to have such uh, a violent conflict uh, is our biggest uh, fallacy. And we need to be very careful when we are thinking how the, the world will be shaping up. We are surrounded by, by fire, by conflicts all around uh, Cyprus. And it's our primary responsibility to realize that these conflicts, these ice, this frozen conflict can melt anytime. Exactly, Kemal. And uh, it's good thing that you brought the issue of what is going on in the Middle East uh, up. I am. I, I'm, I know we share our concern and our uh, disappointment and our uh, anger at what is going on and uh, at the inability of uh, what we call the international community to assist the process in any way. I personally am very disappointed at seeing such a serious issue being turned into a football match with people choosing to choose sides, to have a selective understanding of the situation, to rush in to express their opinions when we are talking about a very complicated issue, we are talking about human lives that are being lost. There are so many aspects to it and it is just sad to be seeing people to rush in to take sides on this issue in a way that discourages and wants the dialogue, discourages uh, a discussion on the issue. And I would expect a bit more of a seriousness when it comes to how we approach what is happening now in the Middle East and I would expect us to understand this is a time of putting forward the voice of peace, asking for peace, asking for coexistence, asking for a solution to problems rather than the continuation of hatred and um, it should really make us think rather than make us choose sides in this extent. Cypriots have the responsibility Our primary responsibility is to ourselves, to our future generations, but also to the international community. Yes, the international community somehow failed us, despite the fact that they also attempted, tried very hard. Um, You know, everybody needs to be taking some criticism to, to itself. But at the end of the day, we have a responsibility of solving our own problem, becoming an example to in the region to make sure that at least on this part of the world, we have some sort of a stability so that we can be an example to the rest of the world so that we can cease to be a problem, uh, sucking resources for the, the peace missions, for the peacekeeping attempts in the region. So... Um, Uh, we need to at least, for example, to start with solving our uh, issue uh, on on not cooperating on uh, virus on pandemic. We should have we should have uh, res- resumed uh, the crossings long time ago. It doesn't mean that we are just uh, ignoring the fact that we need to be careful about the pandemic. No, but if we are finding ways to bring people from abroad. Then we need to find ways for uh, for the crossings as well. We have been hearing that recently um, 
there is a growing campaign on that towards that direction and uh, we need to insisting on this because this is a small island and if we cannot achieve cooperation and crossings on this small piece of geography how are we going to set up uh, a future united cyprus how are we going to uh, establish peace so let's hope that summer will uh, finally uh, bring us more cooperation on that front as well to not have it used for political games either. So, And I believe that this is the next struggle that the people on the ground will have to take. And it's uh, it's a shame to acknowledge this, but uh, this is the truth. I think Cypriots will have to struggle to convince their leaders to finally cooperate in opening the crossing points at a time when uh, the sites will start uh, receiving tourists from abroad. So this is it uh, for us today. I think it is uh, time for you to carry on enjoying your uh, Bayram. And uh, what, what, what do you have planned for the rest of the day? First of all, I need to go and enjoy my uh, Tel Kadaifi. It is uh, different from Ekmek Kadaifi. <laughs> a very nice uh, dessert and there were some uh, polls on the Turkey Cypriot Twitter whether you know Ekmek Kadaifi is better than Tel Kadaifi of course not I mean Tel Kadaifi is special for uh, Bayram and this is what I'm going to do um, it's, it, there is a special uh, let's say how can I say it, um, ingredient where you, you buy it from the market and uh, you put some syrup on it and then some nuts and yeah it's it is made i mean you you have it as well i don't know how it is called in greek it is tell me it's like strings you know like uh, is it like the is it the angel here you are talking about the kadeifi cuz yes yes yes, yes exactly yeah our desserts are generally in cyprus are very simple um it's because of our colonial past, because of our past that we were not very rich, things need to be simple and then you need to use the ingredients you have and then you need to be creative and uh, you don't mix so many things. Whatever you have, you, you have it and then you get it from the market, you put some syrup into it and then fantastic. <laughs> Okay, I will try and look for it. You know, I think our listeners do not know that uh, personally, if I wasn't uh, doing a podcast on politics, I could be doing a podcast on uh, uh, culinary traditions and <laughs> cooking. So <laughs> maybe we <laughs> we could consider this for another uh, podcast uh, series. Perfect. Uh, enjoy your day then. Thank you.